The belief is that if it exists, I can have it. Meaning, if there are people already out there experiencing the life I want to have, why not me? Why wouldn't I be able to get there too? Welcome to Make Bank with Marie Wold. I'm Marie, and for the last decade, I've been helping women set and hit unrealistic goals while building their definition of a rich life. This podcast is your ultimate destination for unfiltered discussions about personal development, entrepreneurship, wellness, confidence, wealth building, relationships, and so much more. We're creating our dream lives together, and I'm so glad you're here. Now let's jump into today's episode. Welcome, welcome back to the pod. I am so glad you're here and I have a fun little rapid fire Q&A type of episode for you today. We're going to cover a lot of topics. I gave you kind of a sneak preview in the episode title, but I have about a dozen different FAQs, juicy questions, some more personal, some more businessy, some more spicy than others. And I'm excited to dig in, but these are all pulled from my Sunday questions that I typically do on my Instagram stories each week. So if you're not already following me on Instagram, definitely do that. It's Marie E. Wold. And that's really the only space where you get to like pick my brain for free, ask questions, get a little almost free coaching. And I don't really put anything off limits over there as you're going to find from today's episode. So if you ever want to know my thoughts on something, get advice on something again, like pick my brain, that is the place to do it. I don't offer like free coaching in the DMS and stuff out of respect for my clients. So I pick some questions to answer usually weekly on Sundays. So keep an eye on there. Or if you haven't been seeing my stories, maybe favorite my profile to make sure they come up and that will tell the algorithm that like you want to see my stuff. So anyway, I digress. Let's jump into this again. We're going to kind of do it like rapid fire style just for funsies. And I'm not going to organize the topics any specific way because I think this is more chaotic and spicy and fun. So (laughs) let's go ahead and kick off. Again, these are kind of the most common themes that I tend to get asked about a lot with a few just like spicy, interesting ones thrown in there. Um, So we're going to start with something that I'm a little bit known for and I've definitely talked about in the podcast before. I think the episode about like my four-day work week and time freedom is probably the most recent place that I go more in depth on this. But the question is, how do you hold your boundaries so firmly? And honestly, I kind of like live for the fact that I'm known as being a boundaries queen, but in a good way, like not in a, no one can reach her. She is like better than everyone. Or like, she's just like closed off, but in like an aspirational, like supportive, cool way, (laughs) if that makes sense. So I really appreciate whenever I get this question, because it's something that I have worked really hard on. And I'm glad to hear that I'm like modeling it well for people. And it's something that you want to learn more about for yourselves. So the answer to this question is like the way that I see boundaries, at least the ones that I value. And again, I talk about boundaries more in depth in that other episode about my work week and stuff, but the boundaries that I value really protecting like my time, energy, peace, 
is that the boundaries I have are in the highest good for everyone. So for example, I'm not available to my clients on the weekends and I have a one business day response time in all of my programs. Now, my clients often get responses much sooner. Like I tend to pop into each of my programs like once in the morning, once in the afternoon, but the promise is one business day. I do not promise any faster and I do not check client messages. I do not check my email. I don't typically reply to many DMs over the weekend. And I have a pretty easy time maintaining that boundary and holding that boundary because I fully believe that it would not serve my clients for me to be available every day at any time. Like, I think I would have a harder time holding this boundary if I thought that it was a disservice or that it was hurting my clients, but I do not believe that at all. I believe it serves everyone to have this boundary because if I was available 25 seven and replied super fast and I was just like at my client's beck and call, I think it would teach them a few things. It would teach them one to be codependent on me for decision-making and like emotional regulation and basically take them out of like the CEO role and the CEO mindset in their own business. I want my clients to be like sovereign. I want my clients to be empowered. I want my clients to learn to trust themselves. And so if they are always coming to me for like even the smallest thing, that's not supportive of them really stepping into the CEO role. Now, of course, I'm there for my clients when they need stuff for sure. But I think there is definitely nuance between when you are just like, going to your mentor or going to your coach for like reassurance on every little thing instead of trusting yourself and backing yourself and going to your coach or your mentor because you are like navigating something that feels particularly like scary or sticky or triggering or something you've never dealt with before, right? I think there's a difference between that and I don't think that it would serve my clients to be available 25-7 because they would end up being kind of like codependent on me for, again, like decision-making, emotional regulation, like I would almost be like their safety blanket. And while my programs and my coaching containers like are a safe space for them to come to, it's not like a constant helicopter situation. I also think that if I was available all the time, that would create a culture of like everything is an emergency when in actuality, nothing is really an emergency in business. I have had maybe one situation ever. And that was quite honestly more of like an attorney situation versus like a calling my coach situation. And so if I was constantly available for like meeting my client in every spiral, in every sticking point, in like every little thing that feels a little bit uncomfortable for them, it kind of reaffirms the feeling of like, oh my God, this is a really big deal. This is an emergency when nothing actually is. Like I have a big belief and I learned this early on from my mentor, Sabrina, which I'll actually answer a question about later, that like nothing's an emergency in business. There are definitely emergencies when it comes to like your family and your pets and your health and things like that. But business emergencies, not so much. And by me having boundaries as a mentor, I model that for my clients, right? They're like nothing is truly an emergency. Now, are there situations where I have broken my own rule and I've answered a client message on a weekend or I've gotten on 
like a last minute coaching call when they really met something particularly tricky or difficult. Yes. Like I have definitely made exceptions, but generally that is my rule. And then also, I don't think that it would serve my clients to be available 25 seven because it would teach them not to have boundaries in their own business, which then can lead to burnout and resenting their clients, even though they love what they do and they love their clients and lack of their own work-life balance. When that's a huge reason why my clients hire me is because they want to learn that they want to learn how to build a business that supports their life. They want to learn how to work less while making more. They want to learn how to have like a regulated nervous system and like feel stable in their business. And that wouldn't happen if I was constantly there to like save them or meet them in their chaos. And so sometimes it is a little uncomfortable for me or for the client to like have this boundary be held, but I ultimately a thousand percent believe that it's in the highest good for everyone. And the same goes for like all of really my core boundaries that I have. And yeah, that that's really what makes it not super difficult. I will also say I don't tend to have super like people pleasery tendencies. I would say I have like achievement and validation seeking (laughs) tendencies, but I don't think that's necessarily the same thing as people pleasing. And I do see that amongst my clients who tend to have more people pleasing tendencies, boundaries are harder, but definitely not impossible. Like this is something that I've helped so many of my clients do, and it makes their life so, so much better. It makes them happier, their clients happier. They're able to give more back to their family and their friends and themselves And so I just truly believe like boundaries serve everyone, even the people you are holding a boundary with. Okay, next question. This one's going to be a little quicker. Would you ever get back on YouTube? And if you didn't know, I used to be a big fitness and lifestyle YouTuber. I had over 75,000 subscribers and that's a big part of like my Fitspo era where I would get like flown to expos and flown around the world to like do meet and greets and worked with all these really like prestigious industry leading brands. And I made a full-time income as an influencer and doing brand deals and stuff like that. And like collabs. And that was a really cool era. (laughs) Like that's definitely a very cool lifestyle, very cool thing to have done. However, it is the most time consuming platform (laughs) to create for. So there would need to be a lot of white space for that to be sustainable and also run my business. Like when I was a YouTuber, My entire job was to be a content creator. That was my full-time job. And I did that for like more, way more than 40 hours a week. Like to produce, for example, a, a day in my life vlog would be like a whole day of filming and a whole day of editing at least. Like that would be at least, let's say 20 hours of work for let's say a 15 minute video. So it's a very time consuming platform. I also found YouTube to be one of the more, toxic platforms. And I have a question about that too. (laughs) I think because people feel like they really know you or because they have a more kind of intimate look into your life. They feel like they can speak on things that they don't actually have a full picture on. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic, but on the other side of that coin, that was the community that I felt was like the most engaged and most like intimately connected out of any platform I've been on too. So 
Never say never. There are definitely pros and cons, and I definitely see the value of having some YouTube content up, especially evergreen topics like I could have a series about like starting and scaling a coaching business or like vlogging as a seven-figure CEO or things like that. Like I for sure could or like vlogging my trips. So I brought it up to my team a few times, but for now, it's not a huge priority for us. Content overall is definitely a big priority for us for the second half of 2023 and just even more omnipresence. But I wouldn't say that YouTube is like the first play for that. However, never say never. And I will definitely let you know if and when the comeback happens. Okay. And then the next question that is semi-similar talking about like visibility and being out there. The question is, what's the hardest part of being a well-known coach? And I will say I've never been the person who blew up or like became an overnight success or like went super viral. I've been growing an audience for over a decade. Like I started the same Instagram I post on now in October of 2012. So almost 11 years and it's been like a, a steady climb, a slow climb at times, a steady, like faster at other times, but overall a steady climb. Like I have never been the person that just blows up and goes mega viral. And I actually am really grateful for that because getting to the level of visibility I have now has been somewhat gradual and I've been able to kind of like take it in in stages And there was a time where, again, like, especially the YouTube kind of like Fitspo era, especially being on like a bunch of other people's channels, being sponsored by like really popular brands and things like that. Like there was a lot of visibility and there was like a lot of chatter, a lot of opinions, a lot of judgment, a lot of assumptions from people who like didn't know me. And that can definitely get to you. That can for sure get to you. I would say it is a lot less so now, now that I'm like really in my lane, I'm really like in the coaching space. I'm very much in the business mentor space. I wouldn't identify myself as like an influencer or like a lifestyle vlogger like I used to. And so I think the type of visibility feels very different where I am now, but you still are definitely aware of just other people's like opinions, judgment, assumptions at times. Like that definitely does still exist, but it is not, it feels very different than when I was at the peak of kind of my like internet fame, so to speak, when I was getting like recognized in public a lot and like people would line up at expos to meet me and like ask for my autograph and stuff like that, which is still wild, (laughs) wild to say. But overall, I'm glad that that did not happen to me super, super fast. I could kind of acclimate to it as it grew. And I also have and have had a really good support system of friends who are kind of like going through it with me and experiencing similar things. So I never felt super alone in that experience, which is super helpful. But I I definitely think that getting super visible super quickly can be really difficult and like burns a lot of people. But ultimately, it's really just learning how to hold pressure and discomfort. And that's required for like a big business, big success anyway. Like it's all kind of the same. And it's been a really growth-filled journey of learning to back myself and like know who I am and own who I am and not be so concerned about other people's opinions. And like I said, as like 
a validation seeker, like words of affirmation are my top love language, things like that. Like that definitely has been a journey for me to not hold other people's opinions, especially uninformed opinions so highly, but that's been really powerful and productive for me to learn that as an entrepreneur and as a business owner. And what I'll say about this too is, and I, I, I'm going to assume that this question was asked from a place of like, should I be worried? (laughs) And I, I do see a lot of early stage coaches holding themselves back from really getting in the game or content creators or educators or anything in the online space. Really, they hold themselves back from getting in the game because they're afraid of the visibility. So I will say this as well, despite any of the drama or hardships that have come from being super visible on the internet, it's all been 1000% worth it. Like I would not take it back. I would not trade it for anything. And anything worth doing is going to require you to get uncomfortable and take up space. So you have to start showing up. And we truly have never had more opportunities to help people, to get out in the world, to sell your things, to make an impact, make connections, to build communities. Like we've never had more opportunities to do that than we do today. And so you just have to embrace that as like part of the world we live in, part of the economy, the creator economy, the um, online coaching and business space that we're in. Like that is just what we're in. That's the world we're in now. And you have to kind of take the good with the bad. Another thing I'll say too, is that there are so many people, I think because of especially TikTok and like virality and things like that, there are so many people with so many followers now that back in the day, like if you had a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand, <laughs> if you had a hundred thousand followers on Instagram, that was like a really big deal back in the day. Now there are like a lot, a lot of people with a hundred thousand followers, not saying that's not still like a major achievement, but like, it's not super crazy. Or like on TikTok, there are so many people on TikTok with millions of followers where back in my day, if you had a million followers anywhere, that was like, you are like royalty of social media. Like you are royalty of content (laughs) at that point. So I think also there's just a very different kind of dynamic there where like, okay, yeah, you can have a really big audience and still not People don't care about you that much, which I see as a great thing. Like you can have a big audience and serve your audience well and sell to them and make build an amazing community and also not generate that much like outside opinion or notice from people who maybe don't mean the best or who aren't like on board with what you're doing, if that makes sense. So long story short, if you're afraid of visibility, being seen, taking up space, rip the bandaid, show up, start taking up space and embrace the fact that you are going to be perceived and people are going to have thoughts (laughs) and that is completely okay. Something that also just a side note has helped me is just believing that other people's opinions of me are truly none of my business. Like that bless and release (laughs) the opinions of other people has, has helped me a lot on that front too. And maybe it'll help you. Okay. On a related note, which I love that these questions have kind of been just like seamlessly related to each other. I didn't even plan it that way. But the next question is, is TikTok a must have in order to grow my business? And I was just mentioning that now there are so many people with so many followers on TikTok. However, 
I personally have not been on TikTok, even as like a consumer, even as a scroller in a few months, much less posted anything. And my business is doing good. And I have never really used TikTok as a marketing platform, as a lead generation platform, as a business platform. So no, being on TikTok is not necessary for growing your business. Can it be a great platform? Absolutely. Does it work really well for some people? Absolutely. But it is not a requirement. And what I will say is the vast majority of my clients have Instagram as their primary social media platform. And some of them use TikTok as like a secondary platform or they have a podcast or they maybe have YouTube and those things can drive visibility, but it is not necessary to be on TikTok. What I would say is one, have a primary platform that you nail and really get comfortable and consistent with before you expand to a second platform, like half-assing both Instagram and TikTok and not going anywhere or gaining any traction on either of them definitely isn't going to help you. And two, if you're going to go on a secondary platform, make sure it's a platform that complements kind of your natural like creativity and expression and is a place that your people are. And then also, I guess three, make sure you have a plan. So if you know that you're going to use TikTok for visibility, you need a plan for how you're going to get people over to your Instagram or over to your email list or over to your sales funnel or whatever it is, because it's great for getting in front of people. But what I found with my clients who use TikTok for lead gen and visibility is that you need a much higher volume of people because you're casting a wider net and staying shallower with them compared to, let's say, Instagram, which is really engineered to create relationships and connections and depth, which guess what? That's really great for selling and coaching and lead gen. So you have to have a plan for if you're going to use TikTok, how is it going to complement your sales and marketing strategies overall? And how are you going to make that visibility actually turn into something? Okay, next. Best first hire in your business. And I know I'm going to sound biased when I say this, but it comes from personal experience. And my answer is a business mentor or a business program. Personally, I am so glad that I started there in 2016 when I hired my first mentor, who was actually Jenna Kutcher. I joined her mastermind and I wish that there was something before that. Like I wish I had invested in mentorship before that. But to be honest, there was nothing like my program, like online coach kickstart, for example, like there was nothing really for the early stage coach at that point. Otherwise I would have invested sooner, but being part of that mastermind and investing in mentorship first clarified and elevated so much for me so that once I did hire like my first actual team member, which I'm pretty sure was a virtual assistant, I knew exactly where I could multiply my time and my energy and versus like what was just simply a shiny object. Then typically either at the same time or shortly after, typically I see the best move being like a generalist VA virtual assistant who can support you with operations or occasionally kind of on a case-by-case basis, sometimes my clients will go straight for an assistant coach who can expand their capacity. Maybe the back end of their business is already like really streamlined or really simple. And it's simply like a capacity problem. Then we might go there, but the exact perfect route for you is definitely going to depend on your business 
and your strengths and your weaknesses. But overall, I would say having a mentor help you clarify those things and then also help you identify like what is the best hire? What is their role going to be? What are their responsibilities going to be? How do you onboard them? How do you lead a team? That is really, really helpful. And so I'm very, very glad that my first hire in my business was actually a mentor and not a team member. As a side note, I also got to see leading a team modeled for me. I got to see the hiring process modeled for me, boundaries, business values. Like I got to see what it was like to be kind of behind the scenes of a business with a team before I like fumbled my way through building my own team. And so that also gave me so much more confidence as a leader and as someone going through the hiring process. So I'm really glad that I did it that way. Let's keep going. Since we're riffing on mentorship, I got a question about the dynamic between me and my mentor and now one of my very best friends, Sabrina. They asked, has it been hard switching between friendship and coaching with Sabrina? And I said, honestly, no. Like I can definitely see how that dynamic and like holding both relationships could be hard, but both Sabs and I are very intentional in how we show up in each role. And we also just like, read the room. Like we, we know each other really well. We both have like worked on ourselves a lot. We're both, I would say incredibly like emotionally intelligent and something that helped our friendship to organically form by the way. Cause I think a lot of people aspire to have like the dynamic that we have or would love to be like friends with their mentor. Cause I mean, that makes sense. Like you hire someone that you like <laughs> and that you look up to and like you want to spend time with. But something that helped our friendship to organically form is like I never put her on a pedestal. And I we, we were talking about this question in our text. And something that we were talking about is that we've noticed that it's not uncommon for people to like put their coach on a pedestal and somehow expect them to be perfect. And also they want the perks of being their mentor's BFF without any of the actual like human connection and vulnerability and effort and like being seen and holding someone in like their imperfection. (laughs) So it's a lot of simply owning the energetics and like expectations of friendship versus mentorship. And then just like a practical thing, a small thing that I find helpful is that we still talk about business in our Voxer chat, which is like a voice and text app that a lot of coaches use. And we keep personal stuff in text. So like there is literally an app (laughs) boundary of what goes where within our relationship. So while we might be texting on a Saturday night, like about our dogs or about a trip we want to do or just memes or whatever, I would never expect her to reply to a business thing then. Like she can be replying to my text, but I'm not gonna be like, what the fuck? Why didn't you reply to my boxer? I have a business question or I have blah, blah, blah. Again, nothing's an emergency either. So that's very helpful. But we have really just like clear and also kind of intuitive boundaries. And then I also asked her for her perspective and I had posted a screenshot of this on my story. So I'm just gonna read her text. She said, We hang out separately to coaching stuff and actually hang out and enjoy each other's company. We show up for things outside of business like weddings and holidays. You're really respectful of not dumping a ton of business stuff on me on a weekend. But at the same time, if I need to talk about something personal, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do that but outside of your coaching time. Like she's not going to come to one of my calls with her and be like, oh my God, guess I haven't, right? Like that's my time. And we are going to text or FaceTime about her thing after. 
I think we have each other's backs and confidences, she said. And I think we know when to be coach client versus when to be friend. And we know that those people sometimes say different things. Bestie is going to say, bitch, you're amazing. (laughs) Coach is going to say, bitch, you're creating your own chaos. So that's um, a fun pattern of mine. And she lovingly will call me out on it. But those are just some concrete examples. And I think that was really well said. But I also just think it comes quite naturally to us as well. Hey, hi, can I just scooch right in here for a second? Because I wanted to make sure you heard the news that I have a free new training teaching you exactly how to secure consistent clients and stack consistent cash in your coaching business. And it is only 35 minutes long. So it is straight value, no fluff. And did I mention it's free. I'm known for putting out only five-star free resources, so you definitely want to save your seat. Right now, there's always multiple time slots available. There's sure to be something that's going to fit your schedule. So all you have to do to save your seat is go to mariewold.com slash grow your roster. Again, that's mariewold, M-A-R-I-E-W-O-L-D.com slash grow your roster. I'll see you there. Next question. I love this one. What is the biggest belief you needed to embody to live the life you promised yourself? I just love that question and the way that it's phrased. And I'm going to keep the answer short, sweet, potent. The biggest belief I needed to embody in order to get where I am and that I continue to embody knowing that like my next level and the level after that and the level after that are all inevitable. Like I'm on on my way. The belief is that if it exists, I can have it. Meaning, if there are people already out there experiencing the life I want to have, why not me? Why wouldn't I be able to get there too? Like, if someone else already has it, why can't I have it too? And of course, some things take longer to achieve than others, but it's this certainty that it's not a matter of if I will get what I want, it's a matter of when. Like, if I just keep putting one foot in front of the other, if I keep holding the vision, if I keep trusting the process, if I keep trusting myself, if I keep getting in the room with people who are ahead of me, I know that I will get there. And I also will constantly be asking myself the question, like, how do I get closer every day? Like, it doesn't need to be that I have it all figured out of like, what is my 37 million step plan for achieving this far off thing. It's like, how do I get closer to that thing today? How do I show up as someone who is like making that happen today and doing the work? This is key doing the work while holding the vision. Like manifestation is not just like saying affirmations and like putting together a vision board and sitting on your ass. Like manifestation has to be both holding the vision setting the intention, like believing that it's possible and also taking the steps necessary to bring that thing to life. So I think that my entire life is like a giant practice of manifestation. I truly believe that. And the belief that if it exists, I can have it is a core part of truly how I make shit happen. Next question why have sales felt so hard lately? And one thing that I'll say is that I understand that this can definitely feel frustrating and scary at times. Like if 
obviously you rely on your business to pay the bills and put food on the table and things like that. Like that is a very real circumstance where if your sales have really slowed down, if your income has really gone down, like that can feel very real. That can feel very frustrating. That can feel very scary. That can definitely create real scarcity feelings. But what I will say and reassure you with is that people are buying. So even if you have seen a shift in the buyer behavior in your audience, many of my clients are having like highest months ever and sold out launches lately. Like people are buying. So it's not a matter of like, oh my God, no one's buying. There's nothing I can do. You still have so many things that you can control and so many things that you can do differently and do better. And so I think what is happening right now is that people are a little bit being forced to actually learn how to be good marketers and be like good salespeople and good at communicating the value of their offers and good at like handling objections in an empowering and like consensual way and actually being a practitioner of their business. Like I think that this current pattern that's happening or this current trend that we're seeing is actually calling people to like step it up and I'm kind of kind of here for it. I will validate that like buyer behavior has shifted in the last six to 12 months. So the way you were selling then like six to 12 months ago is probably not going to work the same way now. Or for example, like our industry was very hot 2020 to 2021 and people aren't necessarily just throwing money at, at coaches the way that they did then. Like it's, it's a little bit more, again, the standard is higher is really what I'm trying to say. And I say that in a loving way. (laughs) And I say that in a way of like, it is completely possible to keep growing, keep seeing amazing results, keep signing new clients, raising your prices, whatever it is, continue raising the bar, but you're going to have to earn it. Like you're going to have to actually be good at sales. You're going to have to actually be good at marketing. And that's where like programs like mine come in, for example, like my mastermind ladies have a whole training on this called recession proof marketing. And some of the key takeaways just give you ideas and like where you should kind of be directing your growth to are one buyers are on average, but not always taking longer to make a purchase decision. So you need to bake in a lot of touch points and think of your sales process and content as like an ecosystem where it's working together and people are percolating and making a decision over time versus expecting like a single detonation point, if you will. Two is that buyers are craving more certainty. So asking yourself, how can I make saying yes, feel less risky for my prospects is going to really help you. And there are a lot of different ways to do that. And then three, some audiences are skewing more budget conscious and others are skewing more like aspirational and traveling more than ever and spending on luxury more than ever and spending on preventative health more than ever. And so it's also important to know where your audience falls because there might be people who do have a more budget conscious audience and we need to make some strategic shifts there. And there are other people where people are really motivated by the aspirational piece and the lifestyle piece and the like revenge spending, if you will, piece. So it's also about knowing and discerning what does apply to you. Like there's a lot of noise right now about the industry is changing and selling is harder than ever. And 
like the great reckoning is coming and blah, like I think there's a lot of fear mongering because that content gets engagement, but I don't think that applies to everyone. And I don't think that necessarily applies to you if you've always taken sales and marketing and nurturing your audience and launching and things like that really seriously. I just don't think that that applies to everyone. So also you need to discern and really it's just an invitation to lean in and take it seriously. Like take marketing seriously, take sales strategy seriously, take accountability seriously because kind of being like hot and cold with selling or like waiting for people to come to you, like that's just probably not going to cut it so much anymore. Okay. Two more quick questions. I don't know how quick they'll be, let's be honest, but two more questions. One, what is your fitness slash wellness routine now post Fitspo era? And honestly, past me would be so shocked (laughs) by where we're at now, because honestly, I like how I just thought I needed to like whisper, like, honestly, I don't want anyone to to overhear, (laughs) but honestly, I have not been in a gym for a structured workout in like months and months and months, like at least mm, three to six months. (laughs) I haven't been in a gym, lifted a weight, done a barbell movement, like in at least three to six months. And even before that, I would like occasionally pop into the gym, but I've not consistently been a gym girly in a couple years. Like at least since COVID started, like once COVID happened, I never really went back to the gym. And to be honest, I don't really miss it. I don't really miss it. I went so hard in the gym for so long that I like kind of got my fill, (laughs) if you know what I mean. But where I'm at now, I'm going to explain, I'm still extremely active. Um, But where I'm at now is that I very much live in the 80-20 vibe where I'm mostly like a very healthy, active, disciplined person, but I also indulge regularly. I have lazy days. I drink real margaritas, not skinny margaritas, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, sometimes I'll drink a skinny marg, but like if I'm going out to a nice dinner, I'm going to have like the cool vibey cocktail. I'm not going to have like a tequila soda with lime, you know? And something that has been so key for me after spending so many years, aka the Fitzbo era, really restricting and like pushing myself to absolute extremes is making it fun and realistic for me to quote unquote, stay on track. And what my on track looks like is going to be different from what your on track looks like, blah, 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 blah. But like, I don't do workouts that I don't generally enjoy. I will do things that I know are good for me, but maybe aren't my favorite because it supports like a performance goal for like horseback riding or like I really want my glutes to be a little bit perkier. So I'm going to like make myself do some banded workouts at home because it's worth it, but like not because I hate myself. I don't track my food at all whatsoever, but I am intentional, not obsessive. And it took me a long ass time to get here. I cherish my sense of balance and where I am so much now, but let me give you a little bit more concrete kind of visual or lay of the land in terms of my actual routine. And by the way, I feel better in my body than I ever have in my life. I feel more confident than I ever have in my life. I feel hotter than I ever have in my life. And so what I'm doing now is like really working for me. I will also acknowledge that like building a base of going to the gym religiously for like six, seven years 
did me a lot of favors and now I can kind of like coast and take advantage of the muscle maturity and stuff that I've built. But again, I'm also very active. I grew up playing sports, stuff like that. So I have a lot going for me in terms of being able to reap the rewards of work I did in the past. So I digress. In terms of my actual routine, nutrition, again, very 80-20. I eat mostly at home, like homemade healthy meals throughout the week. I cook a lot. I love to cook both healthy and quote unquote, not healthy or like indulgent meals. Like I love making an eight hour bolognese in the winter with like full fat cream and wine and beef and pork and real pasta and all the things. Like if I'm going to splurge, I'm going to make it worth it. You know what I mean? And then on the weekends, I tend to be more lax Like I might have a few drinks with friends. I might go out for a nice dinner date with Andrew and have, you know, whatever I want off the menu. Like I will order what I genuinely crave and desire and eat until I'm full, stop when I'm full, really listen to my hunger cues, like fully enjoy myself. But it took me so long to get there. Like I used to not be able to trust myself to actually honor my hunger cues or have self-control or like go be present because I'd be so worried about the food and things like that. But I'm in such a good place now. I mean, it's been a while since I I dealt with that stuff, but I having that background makes me value where I am so much. So I'll definitely be a little bit more lax on the weekends, but I still aim to fuel myself along the way. Like I still really prioritize feeling good and like being hydrated and having energy I rode my horse on the weekends. Like I definitely don't want to show up to my Saturday morning 8 a.m. lesson like violently hungover or anything. I've done that like maybe once or twice and it's just like not (laughs) a vibe. So I'm very intentional, but also not obsessive or super rigid at all. In terms of movement, I, again, can't even remember the last time I did a real gym workout in like 2016. Me, Fitzbo, Marie would be livid (laughs) to hear that. But I ride horses, usually like one to three horses per day, five days a week. And that's legit. I'm not kidding. A full body workout and cardio in one. I know a lot of people think the horse does all the work, but you probably haven't done show jumping. (laughs) And it's a very full body, good workout. I would say like full body strength and muscular endurance and cardio in one. Like you're using a lot of core, a lot of leg, a lot of posterior chain. Like I'm telling you, it's a full body workout and I'm like educated on that. So you can trust me. (laughs) It's a great workout. And on the days that I have multiple horses to ride, or like I have a really big lesson, like on my Saturdays, those are always really tiring lessons where we're jumping a lot. I will legit burn like a thousand calories riding and I will get 20,000 steps those days. Like I'm very active (laughs) a few days a week riding. And I also walk my dogs in the morning. Sometimes I'll do like a dumbbell or a banded workout at home if I can't make it to the barn or if it's a day off or whatever. And to be honest, I do miss having a more plump, juicy booty. I do miss the glutes, but like not enough to actually do something drastic about it. Like not enough to get me back to the gym three days a week. Not enough to make me go get a gym membership. Like I could do some more dumbbell and like banded stuff at home and that would probably be sufficient. I think we will be building a home gym in our bonus room in this house. And that would be a situation where I could see myself working out more and like 
doing more resistance training. But as of now, I'm just happy where I'm at. I'm content. I'm satisfied. Other things where I'm like, "Mm, I could be a little leaner. I could, my butt could be a little juicier. Like, yeah, for sure. But I'm content and that feels really good. My body is like strong for riding and I have good stamina and I can like do all the things that I want to do. And I'm really grateful for that. So that's where I'm at. And it feels really dang good. Hard fought, hard earned, and I am enjoying every bit of it. And our last question, how are you personally upgrading your coaching skills? Any tips and recommendations? And there are definitely like specific programs for this. There are definitely specific like certifications for this. But in my personal experience, forever and always, my own inner work and personal development is an investment into my skills and abilities as a coach. So that means therapy. (laughs) That means listening to personal development podcasts. That means journaling. That means reading the books. That means having real conversations with myself, with my partner. That means like doing the work on myself makes me such a better coach in every way, shape, and form. Also, you cannot overlook the fact that to get better at anything, you have to practice, right? Like you have to put reps in, you have to do the thing to get truly better at it. And I have certainly put in my 10,000 hours of coaching because before I was a business coach, I was a fitness coach. Before I was a fitness coach, I was a volleyball coach. And between the years of like 2012, 2012 to 2023, I have definitely put in way more than my 10,000 hours of mastery. And of course, of course, of course, there's always more to learn. I'm not saying I've learned everything and I am the be all end all of coaching, but so much of what makes me a good coach, and I will own that, that I'm a good coach, is practice. Like I have put in the hours. I have held space for so many humans. I've worked with so many different types of humans in so many different capacities and the practice and repetition is not something that you can learn by reading or learn from a program. Like at a certain point, you just have to do the thing. And another thing that I will say too, is that staying in long-term mentorship has genuinely been one of the biggest contributions to my own coaching skills as well. I've been with Sabrina, who I talked about before, for over four years. I was in a year-long mastermind before that. And so I've been in five-plus years of long-term mentorship and not only learning about coaching in those containers, but also practicing being a client and observing all of the different things that come up for me in all the different seasons has been really big. And cannot be overlooked the value of spending three plus years in masterminds where I got to observe how my mentors that I looked up to and valued their coaching skills coached different women's like my fellow mastermind members on a huge range of topics and sticking points and like personality types and things like that. Like being in a mastermind observing has been its own masterclass. Like that has been hugely valued, valuable. And that's not something that's like marketed as the value of a mastermind, but it absolutely a million times over is. I feel like many coaches drastically undervalue the opportunity to be in the room during group coaching and mastermind conversations alike. And to like get a front row seat to somebody who has spent 10,000 plus hours coaching, like hello at me doing their thing 
that is so sickeningly (laughs) valuable. That is such an incredible opportunity. And I think sometimes people like turn their nose up at like, well, I don't want a group program or I don't want a mastermind. I only want one-on-one when I credit so much of my growth and also so much of my coaching skills to being in masterminds, not to mention the like community aspect and seeing what other people are doing, like hugely valuable. So a little bit of a side tangent, but that's my take. (laughs) That's my take on upgrading your coaching skills. That's my take on being a good client as well. I have a lot more to say on that. So maybe for a future episode, but if you loved this one, I would love to know. Tag me in your Instagram story, send me a DM, even leave a review if you're feeling extra generous. Those really help the show. And I cannot wait to see you back here again next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am forever, ever grateful for your support. And until next time, keep getting out there and securing the bag.